Welcome everyone to the Cover 3 Fantasy Podcast, where we cover everything fantasy football related to help you win your leagues and wow your league mates. In today's episode, we'll be discussing our way too early pre-draft top 10 wide receivers. Last week, we talked about the running backs. This week, we're going receiver, and there's a good chance that these are going to change by the time the season rolls around, but we're in quarantine. Everybody needs sports right now. Let's do it. Uh, So before we get into the top 10 list, we wanted to cover just a few bounce back candidates for you to consider for this season. Now, these are receivers that finished outside the top 50 wide receiver rankings last year that we believe have an outside chance at finishing top 10 potentially in 2020. Now, some of these names, maybe all of them are going to shock you when you hear that they finished outside of the top 50 because it shocked me. But we've got Brandon Cooks, T.Y. Hilton, Juju Smith-Schuster, and my favorite of the bunch, Adam Thielen of the Minnesota Vikings. Out of the bunch, Brandon Cooks is currently ranked the lowest uh, at wide receiver 40. I think that's going to change going to Houston. I think that's going to end up changing as we get closer to the season. But he's going to have some big shoes to fill from Hopkins there. My favorite in the bunch, as I said, is Adam Thielen. Um, For me, last year, Adam Thielen obviously missed six games with injury. And even when he played, you could tell that the injuries were still bothering him. He just never really seemed himself on the field, um, leaving the game multiple times in those games that he did play. Um, But a lot of people forget because of last season, if you got burned, in 2018, he finishes a wide receiver seven. And that's why so many people were buying him at such a high price last year. Sure-handed receiver, great with possession. Um, So him being healthy this year, coupled with the fact of Stefan Diggs freeing up almost 100 targets, I expect that Thielen's going to show what we expected to see out of him last year. Yeah, I agree with that. I like Thielen a lot. I had some shares of him last year. Uh, Obviously, he was disappointing for several reasons. Um, Like you mentioned, the injury combined with the fact that they ran the ball entirely too much. But with Diggs leaving, it frees up a lot of targets. Um, You know, so far, they haven't replaced that with anybody. Obviously, there's a lot of speculation that they might draft someone. But even if they do, there's obviously a connection between Thielen and Cousins. So, um, you know, regardless of who they bring in, there's obviously that chemistry there that will, will certainly benefit him this year. I know I've got him number 11 uh, in my rankings personally, and he's actually one behind my favorite from that list that you just named off, and that's T.Y. Hilton. Um, you know, I, I know you being a Colts fan, Toby, you're obviously a fan of T.Y. as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, was, <laughs> he was very disappointing uh, last year, but you know, there was a lot of, a lot, a lot of things that, that went into that. Obviously, the quarterback play, you know, the – the unexpected transition there from Andrew Luck to J- Jacoby Brissett, you know, nothing against Brissett, but he's certainly no Andrew Luck. Um, you know, he obviously dealt with some injuries there as well, but they brought in Phillip Rivers. I know that he's not 28 anymore, but he's still a good quarterback. And the people that, that are um, people that have given up on Phillip Rivers at this point, I think forget just how good that offensive line is in Indy. And so I think that he's really going to surprise a lot of people. I don't know that he's a top 10 quarterback, but he's certainly good enough. He's an upgrade over percent, and he's certainly good enough to get T.Y. back near that top 10. Yeah, he's definitely an upgrade from Brissett. Um, Obviously, losing out luck was a huge deal, but Hilton, um, I do expect a bounce back year for him as well. Being a Colts fan, obviously, I have a little bias there and want to see that. But as you mentioned, Rivers is way more capable than Brissett, um, and he – as he's shown, he's going to focus in on his top receiver. We saw that with Keenan Allen averaging double-digit targets. I don't expect to see anything different from T.Y. Hilton because behind him, our next receiver is Zach Pascal. No offense yeah. to him, T.Y. <laughs> Hilton getting the ball a lot. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a significant drop-off, I believe, right there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I like T.Y. Hilton. I'm, he is potentially a top-10 candidate for sure. Um, obviously he's going to get a plethora of targets, but another guy that I like, uh, was Juju Smith Schuster. He obviously dropped off dramatically and, but his was pretty much quarterback based, uh, as well with the injury to big Ben and AP, AB being gone. It really, it really seemed to hinder Juju, uh, probably not quite to the 2018 numbers this year, 
Um, his numbers in 2018 were pretty much ridiculous. He had 166 targets, and he followed that up with 111 receptions along with 1,426 yards and seven touchdowns in 2018. That was an outstanding year, but was it his ceiling? Possibly, but it may not be. Assuming Big Ben returns from his elbow injury, I really think he's, he's due to have a really big year this year. To drop down below the 50 is pretty significant drop, but I think he can get himself up to a wide receiver one this year. Uh, primarily, it, we'll all see how Big Ben's injury, if it heals up, if his elbow is 100% or better, uh, Juju Smith-Schuster should be the number one target in Pittsburgh, and he will be productive. Yeah, I, I would weigh in on that, but spoiler alert, we might be talking about him some more a little bit later. Yeah, I, I was one that bought into Juju last year in a lot of my redraft leagues. I took him um, as my wide receiver, too. Um, a lot of people forget that last year some had him as their number one overall wide receiver, which I felt was a bit outlandish, um, but there were quite a few people who did. I don't think that he's going to be up there again, but obviously with Big Ben back, you're going to expect way better play than Mason Rudolph. Um, so do with that what you will. There are a few candidates for you for bounce back. Current ADPs on those guys, like I said, Brandon Cook's at 40. The rest of them in the late teens to early mid-20s. Um, you can get those at a low cost. Could potentially be top 15 guys there for you, maybe even top 10. But we're going to go ahead and jump right into our top 10 wide receivers for the 2020 season. Uh, number one, to no one's surprise, Michael Thomas of the New Orleans Saints. Last year he finished um, – Oh, number one. Yeah. He had a historic season, um, broke Marvin Harrison's single season reception record, um, which is why I can't stand him. Just kidding. Kind of. Um, but last year he had 149 <laughs> catches on 185 targets over, over 1700 yards receiving and nine touchdowns. Um, obviously extremely efficient, hyper targeted by Drew Brees. Brian, we know Thomas was a former Buckeye, but I don't think that's the only reason that you have him as your number one. It's not, but it certainly helps. Um, you know, since coming into the league, he's obviously had more catches than any other player, which is just incredible. Um, you know, I, I liked him at Ohio State. Obviously, I'm a big Ohio State fan, but um, I felt like he was a little underutilized there. He showed big play capability. He showed that he had potential for sure. But, you know, when the Saints took him in the second round, I thought, man, that's, that's a, a high draft pick for somebody that hasn't proven a ton in college. So I've been very, very thankful that he has, he has certainly um, outperformed that, that draft status. You know, last year he had two games fewer than 12 fantasy points, and one of those was week 17 when they were resting everyone, and he only had four catches before he was pulled. He had eight games last year over 21 points and eight games with double-digit catches and over 100 yards. And you mentioned it. He was a, a target monster. He was a yardage monster. He was also second in red zone targets in each of the last two years. But just as a quick aside, do you guys happen to know who was first in red zone targets last year? Kenny Galladay. No? Ooh. I'm, I'm going to go with uh, DeAndre Hopkins. The answer is Tyler Lockett. Oh, wow. Didn't expect yeah. that one. I know. I was shocked when I saw that. And, and we, we won't be talking too much more about him, but just an interesting note anyway. Um, you know, one other thing about Michael Thomas that I love, he says that he can count the number of drops he's had since Pee Wee on one hand. And you know what? I think I believe him. He had a 95% catch rate on catchable balls last year, which is just otherworldly. Like, you don't hear about those kinds of numbers. And you look at his medical history, it's – the, the most uh, concerning thing on his medical history is an ankle strain in the 2016 preseason. So he's got a clean bill of health. He's proven time and time again what he brings to the table. Um, he performed, just as another aside, he performed really well, even with Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback when Breeze went down for a few weeks. So he's proven that he can do it. He's not quarterback dependent. And he doesn't bring drama, which is a little bit different from his uncle Keyshawn. So all of those reasons combined make him the number one for me. Yeah, he's clearly the number one. I actually had him at number three. He is Drew Brees' number one guy. But I have him at number three because of the addition of Emmanuel Sanders. Uh, 
Emmanuel Sanders is a proven vet that will take his targets away. And so I think his numbers are going to drop significantly. I doubt it. But enough to maybe drop him to two or three overall. Sure, I could see it. But clearly, as a consensus, we have him as the number one receiver. And there's no doubt about it. He is the number one guy on the Saints, which is a high-octane offense. And he will produce great numbers this year. Yeah, for me, I think the targets are no question. Those are going to be there. I don't know that he's going to put up the same amount of targets, but, you know, 150, 160, 170, what's the difference when he doesn't drop a ball? You know what I mean? Uh, Brian pointed out only three drops on almost 200 targets last year is phenomenal. And I would say, obviously, with a 95% catch rate of catchable balls, those probably weren't all catchable from Drew Brees. Um, but I think for Emmanuel Sanders, he doesn't really scare me. I think he helps more in a practical sense on the field. He's going to help them win games, but um, I don't really see him stealing value from Thomas. I think he kind of assumes that role that we thought that Ted Ginn Jr. would or Traquan Smith, um, that second receiver that they've really been lacking. But listen, Thomas had a historic season last year, unbelievable. And you just don't see players repeat that type of performance Um, I mean, I have him at number two, so I'm not predicting a drop-off. I'm not saying don't take him in your top ten. That would be absurd. But I think he's going to lose maybe 50 fantasy points this year, maybe 60. But just for perspective, that still would have put him at wide receiver one last year. So (laughs) nothing to worry about. Michael Thomas, surefire number one. If you're taking a wide receiver first, he's probably the one that you're going to want to take. Absolutely. Now, number two on our list, um, don't tell Bill O'Brien, or he may realize what he's done. We've got DeAndre Hopkins coming in at number two. Last year finishes the wide receiver number five with 104 catches, uh, just under 1,200 yards and seven touchdowns. Can't forget his two rushing attempts for 18 total yards. Those add up. Um, I've got him at four. Jason has him at one. Brian with no love at seven. Um, now, Thomas was a Buckeye, but Hopkins is from Clemson. Did that <laughs> loss in the playoffs have anything to do with Hopkins' sudden drop on your list? It, it did not. <laughs> um, you know, I obviously love DeAndre Hopkins as well. I've got him in my top ten. He's one of the two players that had double-digit receiving touchdowns in three of the last five years. So there's, there's very little to not love about him. I loved him in Houston. I like him in Arizona, and I think that's the difference for me. So in Houston, he was a target hog. He was the clear number one choice. In Arizona, Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk each had over 100 targets last year, and neither one of those guys is going away. So I'm not saying that Fitzgerald and Kirk are going to continue to be at 100 targets, but they obviously have a rapport. They've got a relationship already with Kyler Murray. And you don't trade for a guy like DeAndre Hopkins to not use him. But with a new quarterback, a new system – a quarterback that already has that relationship with two other receivers there. And now with you know everything going on with the offseason, the OTAs, it's going to take them a little bit of time to get adjusted. So for those reasons, I've got him in my top 10, but I couldn't get him into my top five. I'm here reading you loud and clear, Brian, but uh, I do have DeAndre Hopkins as my number one receiver in my list. Uh, he's moving into a high-octane offense. His PPR value should go through the roof. Uh, yeah, the targets, quote-unquote, might not be there, but yet the targets may be there based off the offense. Uh, Larry Fitzgerald, he's, he's on his last leg, I believe, this year. And DeAndre Hopkins can be moved around within that offense to slot receiver, which is going to open him up tremendously uh, across the middle of the field. Um, the screens they run, he's going to be screened galore. He's going to get a ton of PPR action. Cliff Kingsbury knows what he wanted and going after him, getting him, uh, he sees a number one receiver, and that's why I believe he'll be a number one receiver this year. The reverting back to the 2018 numbers based off the sheer volume could happen, and also the change in scenery could be just what the doctor ordered for Hopkins. That's why I think he's going to be a great target this year. Just a quick question there. I don't know if you guys saw, but Kyler Murray was was – saying that he thinks they're going to be taking a receiver in the first round. What do you guys think about that? I think smoke screen, smoke screen, smoke screen. There's all kinds of stuff being said right now. Who knows? Yeah, I think, I think if he said that a month ago before this trade happened, I would have definitely believed him. You know, if they've got the opportunity to add Jerry Judy or CeeDee Lamb, no brainer, but um, 
I mean, if they do that, I don't, I mean, is Kirk the odd man out? Is Fitzgerald the odd man out? I don't, I, I can't imagine having four top flight receivers, but to that point, Cliff Kingsbury did mention that he doesn't mind running four receiver sets. So I, I honestly don't know what to expect from them. Last year, no one thought they were taking Kyler Murray number one until the week before the draft. And then it was like, oh, we're giving up on Josh Rosen, all in on Kyler Murray. This is a real deal, not a smokescreen. Yeah. Who knows what they're doing? We'll find out. <laughs> yeah. But thank you, John Madden, for that that target breakdown there. The, I mean, he may get the targets. He may not. You know, they may <laughs> win. They may not. Who knows? Yeah. But for me, um, the change of scenery is a big thing. I think both teams, um, looking at their numbers, they made about the same amount of passing attempts last year. Uh, I think Arizona is going to blow Houston out of the water with passing attempts this year. As I just mentioned, Kingsbury said that they're all in on the air raid offense, said he wants to run more of the four wideouts and no one in the backfield at times. Obviously, I think they can start off with Kenyon Drake in the backfield, move him to the slot. He's a decent pass catching back, um, but I don't think they'll be using that a lot if they're doing four wideouts. Um, I love their weapons. I think Murray's going to have a lot to work with this year. Um, I don't think that they traded for Hopkins to make him one of the trio, um, but I think they got him to be the alpha. He's, they yeah. want him to be the leader of that bunch and help elevate Kyler's play. The other two guys are solid players. They're not going anywhere, as Brian mentioned. They're still going to get, I would say, probably more in the 70 to 90 target range. Agreed. Um, but, Brian, you pointed out targets. Hopkins has been around that 150 to 160 target range. Um, almost every year you can count on it. Mm-hmm. I don't think he'll be at that number, but if he's even at 130 to 140, um, I think that's plenty doable given that Fitz and Kirk have had 110 targets each last year. Um, with that, if he can be a little more efficient, get back into double-digit touchdowns where he wasn't last year, I think he'll be more productive fantasy-wise even with the less amount of targets. Um, the other thing that you factor in with the receivers is if teams will be winning or losing. The Cardinals could make a playoff push this year, but I don't expect them to be blowing teams out and burning the clock. So I fully expect that they're going to be throwing the ball to stay in games and they're going to be throwing the ball a lot. Yeah, that's a great point. Obviously their defense is not uh, one that scares anybody. So they will have to throw to move the ball and stay in games for sure. All right. And coming in at number three, put on your penny loafers. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood since Mr. Rogers has his favorite target back. Devontae Adams makes the list this year or last year dealt with injuries, missed four games. And it seemed like it took a while to find his groove when he got back. Um, But he did finish with 83 catches for almost a thousand yards and five touchdowns. Um, I've got him at five on my list. Brian at nine. Jason, you've got him in your top five at number four. Um, Jason, expecting to bounce back in a big way for him? Yeah, Adams, when he's healthy, is proven to be a top five receiver, in my opinion. Uh, however, with uh, what's around him in Green Bay, he's certain to get the targets at this point. Uh, MVS isn't scaring anybody. Their tight end situation is garbage. Uh, Aaron Jones, he'll get, he'll get some production. Jamal Williams, he'll get a little production. But clearly, at wide receiver, Devontae Adams is the alpha dog in that offense. And obviously Rodgers will lean on him. Tremendous, tremendous target guy. He's going to get potential 150 targets unless they add somebody that could obviously change the rankings a little bit. But at this point, it's clear to me that Devontae Adams is the guy. And so he's proven. He's a veteran. He he knows the offense inside and out. And he's, he's got great size. He can go over the middle. He can go deep. That back shoulder throw. Rodgers is going to feed him like a hungry animal. And so for that reason, I've got him listed at number four in my list, and he comes in at number three overall. Yeah, and the, the reason he comes in at number three overall is because I actually updated my rankings. I've got him at number three at this point. I started going back and looking at the numbers and looking at some tape, and I uh, realized that number nine was way too low for this guy. Uh, he's the only receiver with double-digit touchdowns in three of the last four years. Uh, Jason, as you said, he is Aaron Rodgers' only trusted weapon. He did play in 12 games last year, and in those 12, eight of those games, he had at least seven catches. He's a good route runner. He's trusted. Um, When Rodgers tells him to be somewhere, he's going to be there. In 2018, he had 23 red zone targets, 14 red zone catches, and 12 touchdowns. In 
2019, in only 12 games, he had 18 red zone targets, still 12 touch or 12 catches, only three red zone touchdowns. But number two on their team in red zone targets, you guys want to venture a guess? Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones is correct. Wow. Aaron Jones was second on the team with 12 red zone targets. And when you look at things like that, I mean, with 18 red zone targets for Devontae, with only three touchdowns coming out of that, I certainly would expect that number to be a lot higher. And he's going to continue to get those red zone targets. That touchdown number is coming up. Yeah, you would expect his efficiency to be um, a lot better in the red zone. Um, I like Adams. I think they should address receiver in the draft uh, because I don't think Devin Funches is the answer. I don't know that anyone does. Um, Alan Lazard came on pretty solid last year, but they those guys won't affect Devontae Adams' value at all. Green Bay has been looking for a good number two receiver for years. Um, MVS, Lazard, Geronimo, Funches, none of those guys are the answer. Um, but a good number two in the draft I think would help open up for Adams a bit instead of having teams focus in solely on him. Um, Aaron Rodgers had a rough go last year, but, I mean, you're, you're expecting the future Hall of Famer to bounce back. No one expects him to have a horrible year again. Um, he averaged double-digit targets, Devontae Adams, in the eight games after his injury, which is great, but his yards per target were pretty low. Um, only five touchdowns, as you pointed out. Obviously, Aaron Jones took a lot of those last year when he went nuts, but um, you've got to think that bounces out a bit this year. Jones comes down to earth a little bit. Adams picks back up the pace. No question. Um, is almost 25% of his team's targets, which isn't bad. But, uh, I mean, if it's up to me, I'm not the coach, but I'd like to see it more in the Michael Thomas range of almost 35% of his targets. And I'd like to see Green Bay just force yeah, agree. the ball. Um, and when they do that, I think he's got a great chance of being top 10, probably top five if that happens. Yeah, and Adams is one of those steady guys, too, that – when you're you're looking at the top of the draft, you're trying to find somebody that's got that consistent, solid floor that's going to produce as your wide receiver one every week. And Adams is definitely one of those guys that's capable of doing so. And coming in at number four, uh, this year we have Tyreek Hill of the Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs. Hill finished as wide receiver 30 last year after missing four games with a shoulder injury. Um, he had 58 catches, 860 receiving yards, and seven touchdowns. Um, I'll jump right in because I have Hill as my number one receiver this year. And before anyone screams at me, there's no way that he'll beat Michael Thomas. Um, let's just take a moment, pump the brakes, remember that it was only a year ago, 2018, where Hill finishes the wide receiver one. If you've never watched him play, um, you're really missing out. Turn on a Chiefs game. He's one of those guys that can literally turn any play into a touchdown somehow scramble out of four defenders and break a 40-yard touchdown, it's not unreasonable for him. They don't call him the cheetah for nothing. Lightning quick, and he's got great chemistry with Patrick Mahomes. And listen, when he came back from injury last year, weeks 6 to 10, that's what we wanted to see from Tyreek Hill. That's what you expected to see when you drafted him as a top-five receiver that year. Uh, but then weeks 11 to 17, he kind of fell off and disappeared. And I think part of that was due to that. He was missing those big plays we're accustomed to seeing. Uh, and some may say that, you know, teams learned how to stop him and they focused in on him to shut him down. But that's crazy. That's outlandish. No one has learned how to stop Tyreek Hill because he's used in so many different ways. Um, I don't know if the Chiefs decided to take it easy coming back from injury or what, but you watched their games last year and they just almost seemed like they forgot that they had this weapon that was burning defenses and getting wide open every time. Uh, he would get three to four targets in a single possession. And then somehow at the end of the game, you look and he had five targets in the entire game. Um, so when you look at that over the season, his targets dropped substantially from 137 down to 89, which led to him only having 58 catches. Um, yards went from almost 1500 to 860. And one of the big things lacking was Kansas city typically utilized him in the run game, um, trick plays end arounds, things like that. Uh, but you didn't really see that last year and it could have been because of his injury. Maybe they wanted to take it easy not open him up to hits that were unnecessary, but only eight carries last year for 23 yards. Um, where in the past he's had over 20 carries for 151 and then 267 yards with a couple touchdowns to boot. So not substantial numbers by any means, but you're talking about enough to add another 40 to 50 fantasy points, which is going to jump him up a few notches on the wide receiver rankings. Um, even though he had a bad end of the season, one of the reasons I'm optimistic is because he had a great playoff run. Uh, he capped it off with 16 targets in the Super Bowl, including when it was crunch time 
Um, Pat Mahomes looked to him, busted out a huge 40-yard gainer, um, showed that he still has confidence in him. That hasn't wavered. And the Chiefs, they want to run it back. They've returned everyone on their offense except for one starter. Um, and if they're going to run it back, Tyreek Hill is going to be a huge part of that. I think he's back to his old self this year, making the explosive plays that we're used to seeing by wide receiver number one in 2020. Yeah, I certainly agree with that. And one thing that you mentioned there at the the uh, the end of the season for Tyreek Hill was not what you wanted, wanted to see out of him. Uh, but I watched a lot of the Chiefs games and a lot of tape on Tyreek Hill. And one of the things that I noticed is there were several moments in those games th- towards the end of the year where he and Mahomes just barely missed on some deep connections. And, you know, if they make those connections, then you're talking about a much different end of the season and a much more palatable finish for Tyreek Hill. Yeah, they call him the cheater for a reason because having speed like that, it makes him a cheater. It's like playing on cheat code. Uh, I have him at four because it's a little down from Toby, I know, but uh, there's so many mouths to feed in KC. Mahomes obviously leans on him, but he also leans a lot on Kelsey. And so that kind of takes away from maybe his number one ranking, but he, he does fall in the top five for me based off of his big play potential. He really can bust one, as you said, Toby, at any given moment, any given play, he could take it to the house. Um, and also having Mahomes is like having a Swiss flag. It's a giant plus uh, for Tyreek Hill. And for that reason, I definitely see him having another big year as long as he can keep his hands to himself. Yeah, and Tyreek Hill is obviously a, a game breaker. You guys have talked about that. Um, he's I, I had a pretty lousy segue coming into this because I was just talking about that consistent floor that you really want in Devontae Adams. Then we go to Tyreek Hill, and you know he's that boomer bust type of player. And so I've got him down at number eight. Um, I obviously like Tyreek Hill a lot. But I like him a lot more in best ball or DFS than I do in redraft or, or dynasty. And like I said, he's number eight, so I've got him as a, a wide receiver one still. But I'm not as comfortable rolling him out there every week and depending on him. But he's exactly the kind of guy that you want in that best ball, that DFS, where you're looking for home runs, you're looking for big plays. He's going to deliver those. The, the problem is you don't know when. So, I mean, last year he had four games over 20 points, um, but he also had five games under 10 including one where he got hurt before registering a single point. And so that's the concern. You've got the injuries. You've got some of the off-field stuff. Um, you know, you, you hope, obviously, that it doesn't rear its head again. Um, and if he can stay healthy, then he's definitely a, a top-10 receiver. And one other note, um, you know, depending on how your, your league is set up, he also does participate in kick and punt returns quite a bit. And he's usually good for a couple of return touchdowns which will help you out some, you know, you get six points right off the bat for a return touchdown, but in some leagues you get points for return yardage as well. And in those, he can, he can make a, a big difference. For sure. And I think one of the big things you pointed out was the uh, missed connection on just a couple of the long plays. Again, to that point, you know, we're not looking for him to have 20 of those monster plays, but if they hit that connection, maybe three, four times, you're talking about the difference in being at 860 yards to over a thousand, almost 1100 receiving yards in the year, which again is good for a few more spaces, probably a few more touchdowns with those large plays as well. So um, very boomer bust for Tyreek Hill, riskier pick if you're going to take him in the top five, but um, do you believe in him or not? That's the big question. Um, rounding out our top five, uh, we've got everybody hates Chris, unless you bought into the hype last year, which Jason did Chris Godwin. Um, had his coming out party last year. 86 catches, just over 1,300 yards, nine touchdowns. was good enough to make him finish as wide receiver two last year. Obviously, the big debate with bringing TB12 to Tampa Bay is, will Godwin or Evans take a step back, or can he sustain two top ten guys again? Uh, Mike Evans didn't make our top ten, but Godwin did. Brian, what is it that sets Godwin apart from Evans? So Godwin broke out last year for sure. He's an excellent slot receiver. I think he gets a slight upgrade at quarterback from Jameis to Brady, um, at least in terms of slot usage and turnovers. So you can say what you want about TB 112, but he's definitely going to utilize that slot. And that's why I think that Godwin finishes above Mike Evans. Um, When you look at the numbers in the past for Brady, even looking back at 2007, that record setting year they had with Wes Welker and Randy Moss, 
Welker actually had 14 more catches than Randy Moss did. And Mike Evans is no Randy Moss. And that was Brady in his prime. He's obviously not quite as capable of airing the ball out 50, 60 yards downfield. You know, he's still got solid arm strength, but he's going to be 43 this year. He's starting to come down just a little bit. Um, you know, last year as well, Godwin had 121 targets to Evans, 118. I'm expecting a bigger discrepancy between those two this year. And also, Bruce Arians loves to throw the football. He's great at creating game plans that fit his quarterback's strengths. And like I said, Brady's strengths are definitely targeting that slot receiver, that guy that you trust that you know is going to be open in the middle of the field. So I expect big things for Chris Godwin this year. Unless Bruce Arians quarterback strength is throwing the ball to OJ Howard. Oh, then we can't Ooh. do that. If he's there, that's <laughs> another time. Uh, yeah. Chris Godwin. I, I did swing for the fences on him in a dynasty league and I, he did not disappoint. Uh, he has what I like to call the it factor. He's physical. He's fast. He's got good hands. And with Brady at the helm, it's going to be between Evans or Godwin. That's going to be the big question. But I'm leaving, leaning heavy on Godwin uh, this year. I just he, he fits the mold of a Brady-type receiver. Uh, he can play the slot. He can play out wide. He, he, you can move him around. You can put him in the backfield, and Brady could get him the ball. Uh, he, he gives so much flexibility to their offense. I just see him as that guy that could take a major step forward above Evans in that regard. And so I believe it's going to elevate his game this year even further, possibly. But in our rankings, we have him at a five. And so that's why that's where I'm at with him. Yeah. And as you pointed out, Brian, Brady loves his slot guys, um, his intermediate range guys. He's not really an air it out type of quarterback now, which Godwin fills the slot a little more than Evans is the big thing. I think most people are going to point out. Um, the big thing for me is in 2016, though, Evans was targeted an average of 11 times a game. Uh, there were deep balls then, but this was before Chris Godwin. And a lot of that was in that intermediate range. And they treated him more as a possession receiver than just air it out. And they just fed him the ball as much as possible. Um, they didn't really have any other options at the time. So it's kind of right. what they had to do, but um, both are obviously super talented. I think after a couple weeks into the season, we're really going to get an idea of who's leading the way. Um, but now with OJ Howard potentially moving on, um, I like Cameron Bray, but that could open up the door to both Evans and Godwin being top 10 receivers without having that receiving tight end. Obviously, Bray, good in the red zone, but never has a ton of targets, um, just really efficient with them. Um, so I think opening up those few targets could could help both of them to finish top 10 again. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility, but if I were a betting man, I'm taking Godwin in the top 10, Evans outside. Yeah, and it's interesting you bring up Brayton Howard. Um, you know, people obviously like to point to Brady and say, he loves the tight end, look at what he's done. But who didn't love Gronk and Aaron Hernandez when they were in their prime there in New England? You look last year, though, he didn't have many targets to Benjamin Watson or Matt Lacoste. Those were his tight end options. So, you know, it remains to be seen just how much he thinks of Cameron Bray and O.J. Howard if he's still there. You know, it, it could be a, a dramatic range of outcomes there for those two guys, but the receivers are, are the clear beneficiaries. Yeah, I mean, Brady's been around the league for so long. He knows what a what a good wide receiver can do and what a good wide receiver looks like. So. Both of those guys are going to be open quite a bit, and I see him feeding them. Yeah, either one's a good option. Godwin, obviously, higher on the list. Um, coming in at six, we've got the leader of the Dirty Birds down in Atlanta, Julio Jones. Last year, Julio finished third, um, just a few points behind Chris Godwin, actually, who had a monster season. Julio had 99 catches, just shy of 1,400 yards, and six touchdowns. Uh, let me start by saying, when you mention Julio, it seems like he's been around the league forever. So a lot of people think he can't be in the top five because he's getting up there in age regression. He's been in the league nine years now. He's got to go downhill sometime. But last year, as I said, 99 catches on 157 targets and his averages over the past six seasons, which have been the best six seasons of his career, um, 103 catches on 161 targets were the averages. So if four less catches and four less targets are considered regression, then yes, he's regression, but I'll buy that <laughs> regression all day. Um, in all, all seriousness, day. though, Julio is about as consistent stat-wise as you can hope for. These are his finishes the past five years in fantasy. Uh, wide receiver three, 
wide receiver five, wide receiver four, wide receiver six, and wide receiver two. And that's tough to stay that high. You're talking top five receiver for the past five years in fantasy. He's been doing this just for perspective since guys like Brandon Marshall, Jordy Nelson, Doug Baldwin, Eric Decker, and Michael Crabtree were top 10 guys. A lot of our listeners are Googling who those names are right now. (laughs) That's how long that Julio has been in the top five. Uh, But last year he had six touchdowns. All those came in a four-game stretch, so 14 games without a touchdown. That's not pleasant. I don't really like to hear that, but I think that number is going up this year. Um, Six touchdowns itself is kind of low. I think he's more 9 to 10 range at least, even with Calvin Ridley, Hayden Hurst, Todd Gurley. They've obviously got a lot of weapons, but the Falcons really underperformed last year. Um, A big fall from a Super Bowl appearance just a few years ago, but Devonta Freeman battled injuries again. So you had Ito Smith, who was the lead back last year, and their defense was pretty awful as well. Um, They've added a few pieces on defense, but I still expect them to be towards the bottom of the pack. But I think adding Todd Gurley was a huge upgrade. Uh, I think it's going to help balance their offense more than anything. I don't think it's going to hurt Ridley or Julio. I think it's going to bring some balance to the offense and help open things up for everyone as a whole. Yeah, I've got Julio uh, a little lower on my list. Uh, But don't be surprised that he's in our top six wide receivers for 2020. Julio has been Atlanta's biggest weapon for years and years and years. And I think it's still going to continue this year. The amount of volume that Atlanta likes to throw the football should only increase Julio's value at this point. And, uh, well, with their additions this year, they did add Hurst. They've added Gurley. Uh, I look for Calvin Ridley to take a little bit of a step up in targets this year, which is where I have Julio dropping just a smidge. I don't have him falling out of the top 10 or nothing crazy like that, but I think he's going to fall off just a little bit. But uh, for Julio, for me, uh, sliding a little bit, big deal. Uh, He's still a number one wide receiver all day and every day for that matter. Yeah, you mentioned the the targets there. Um, You know, Devonta Freeman and Austin Hooper have both gone. Um, They've moved on to other teams, or Hooper has at least. We'll see what, what happens with Freeman. Um, they combined for 167 targets last year. And so I definitely expect Hayden Hurst to pick up a lot of those targets. I expect Gurley to pick up a lot of those, but that's a lot of targets to fill. And so I don't know that that's really going to impact Julio and Ridley a lot. But do you guys remember when you avoided Julio in fantasy because he was always hurt? Like, I don't know about you guys, but for me, that was a thing. Like for a couple of years, I was like, oh, I don't want to take Julio in the second round. Like that, he's going to get injured. He's got this foot thing and so I can't trust him but like Toby was talking about he hasn't finished outside of the top six since DeAndre Hopkins was a rookie in 2013 just to put a little more perspective to that and he's the only player that you can say that about you know last year he had five games under 11 points five games over 20 points and then everything else was in that that sweet spot in between Calvin Ridley is great he's a great number two but I think it's Julio's team for at least one more year and so, you know, I'm not expecting regression this year. As long as he can stay healthy, stay on the field, it looks like those injury problems are behind him, cross our fingers. And uh, I'm putting my faith in Julio for another year. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And the more we talk about him, the more I want to move him up in my rankings now. You know, it just he, <laughs> he just has that appeal. And obviously, you know, big-bodied wide receiver, uh, potential Hall of Famer down the road. But he – I think for me, the, the reason I don't have him higher – um, isn't worries of injury or regression, but it's I, I I really like him as a player. And one of the things as a fantasy owner is that you don't want to get stuck drafting players that you like as players sure. just because you like them. Um, so sometimes yeah. I can be a little overly critical and scale back my expectations on a player because I don't want to come off as too biased. But Julio Jones, as we pointed out, about as consistent as they come with finishing. If you take him in your top five, you probably aren't going to be upset. Take him in your top ten, definitely won't be upset. Uh, moving right along, though, number seven, we've got the magician. Some call him David Copperfield. Some call him David Blaine. On your draft kits, he's going to be listed as Mr. Amari Cooper. Uh, now you see me, now you don't. Cooper finished ninth last year among receivers with 79 catches for almost 1,200 yards and eight touchdowns. Jason loves him some Amari Cooper. You've got him at number two in your rankings. 
Uh, that's expecting a lot of consistency from him, don't you think? Yeah, he does battle the inconsistencies through his career, but he is right in what we call the prime of his career. And I'm looking for this to be the year that he takes his game to the next level. Uh, he's obviously got a great rapport with Dak. Uh, they, they, they connect quite often, but it's the consistency that he battles. And it's just a matter of time before he hits this ceiling that he has. And I think this is the year that he actually takes it up a notch. And he has everything set up for that this year. With all the, all the pieces being back the way that they were last year outside of their center uh, and tight end, he's, he's going to get the targets. He's going to get the work. And he's, he's going to get the load. So that being said, his, his speed, his size, and it just seems like this could be the perfect storm for Amari Cooper this year. Yeah, Toby, you, you hit it for me, that, that consistency. I mean, you guys are both right on point. He's, when he's good, he's really good, but he does have a, a tendency to disappear as well. And, you know, I really wanted to like him more, but he only had 83 catches last year, and he had three games with over six catches. And for my wide receiver one, I'm just not comfortable with somebody that doesn't get the ball more than that. But on the flip side, he had over 100 yards or a touchdown in seven games. So almost half the games in the season, he was putting up substantial numbers. Um, they've committed to him big time, obviously, with the, the contract they've given him. He's an unquestionable talent. But for me, that team still runs through Zeke. And so the way that they feed him, and now with Pollard coming on a little bit, you've got Michael Gallup that's getting more targets. And, you know, those things concern me. Um, and if you had Amari Cooper on your team last year, it didn't surprise you at all that he led your fantasy team in points. And it also didn't surprise you when you looked up and he had three catches for 38 yards. And so I'm, I'm really looking for a little more consistency. And Jason, to your point, I really hope that comes this year. You know, he is young. He's at that, that point now where if he's going to take it to the next level, I think this is the year that he needs to do it. Yeah, and you pointed out Michael Gallup. I think a lot of people are going to use that as one of the factors. I don't think it's unreasonable to think that Dallas could sustain two top receivers like that. Um, but Gallup obviously was way more consistent at the end of the year than Cooper was probably all year. Um, but for me, the number six. So uh, that's the number of games last year that he had under five fantasy points. Um, that's also the number of games that he had five or less targets. Um, and some people will say, well, it's only six games, but that's almost half of the season. Uh, if I'm taking a guy as my number one, I need some consistency and I need to know that he's going to be targeted often yeah. in his offense. Absolutely. Um, and I know I mentioned with Hill earlier that he was similarly untargeted at times this year, weeks 11 through 17. But the difference is without the injury, we've seen Hill consistently targeted for an entire season, consistently perform well for an entire season. But I feel like with Amari Cooper, uh, I was a fan as a football fan, um, not necessarily fantasy-wise, but I feel like we've always been waiting on him to really just a full season of explosion. And when he went to Dallas, he did explode a bit, and people thought, this is it. He's finally breaking out of it. It was just Derek Carr, the Raiders' horrible offense. They were holding him back. But mm. now that full season, we see that he's got those monster games, but he's still frequently inconsistent. And – you know, I could cut him a break if it was two or three bad games, but almost half the year is too much for me for a wide receiver one. Coming in at number eight, look no further than your parents' smooth jazz CD collection. We've got Kenny G. Last year finished as the wide receiver six, had 65 catches, almost 1,200 yards, and 11 touchdowns, and he did all of this uh, with Matthew Stafford playing only half the year. Played the other half with Jeff Driscoll and David Blow. Who, you might ask? Exactly what we're asking as well. Brian, what are we looking for from Kenny G this year with the full year of Matt Stafford? Yeah, there's a lot to like here with Kenny G. Um, you know, last year he led the NFL in targets inside the 10-yard line with 13 and converted six of those into touchdowns. He's a big-bodied physical receiver. Um, they, they call him Babytron. I'm not sure how he feels about that name, but it's, uh, it's never a bad thing to be compared to Calvin Johnson. You know, last year he had 10 games with 100 yards, a touchdown, or both, which is just incredible. And he had uh, six games, on the other hand, with three or fewer catches. So we, we were just talking about some inconsistency, some guys that can disappear, and that's the knock on, on Galladay as well. 
is, you know, those six games with the three or fewer catches can really hurt from a, a wide receiver one. But the team loves him. Stafford certainly trusts him. Uh, to your point, a lot of those bad games came with David Blau and Jeff Driscoll at the, at the helm. And I certainly expect more consistency with Stafford there behind the center. Um, but also, Matt Stafford does like Marvin Jones. And two of the top four fantasy performances among Lions wide receivers last year came from Marvin Jones, which concerns me a little bit. Um, the, the really good for Kenny Galladay is, one, those targets inside the 10 that I mentioned. And the other is he was number one last year in deep targets with 2.3 per game and number four in yards per catch. So he can get you a lot of points on a single play in a hurry. But the downside on him is his ability to catch. He was 86th in catch rate, 85th in true catch rate, and 93rd in target separation. Now, those sound pretty bad, and the, the catch rate kind of bothers me a little bit. The target separation would bother me if he wasn't so big. And to that point, he finished seventh in contested catches. So even though he's not getting that separation that you'd really like to see, he's able to go up and take the ball away. Yeah. Last year, having David Blau throwing on the ball <laughs> and Jeff Driscoll as a Gator fan, I can, I can just empathize with what he was dealing with. Uh, but the, the more to your point, Brian, I do – I do, I do like Galladay. I don't have him ranked as high personally. However, uh, the more you watch him, the more you like about him. Uh, he, he's a big guy. He's got a great size, great catch radius, like you had mentioned. Um, he's a great number one option for Stafford. Uh, that being said, I think Gallad Galladay is trending upward, obviously. His 18.3 yards per reception last year made his value climb. Um. However, his targets and in receptions wasn't the greatest statistic you'd want. In 65 receptions, he had 116 targets. That's an average pretty low, considering you would want that average to be at least around 75%, and his numbers would have made him a top one to three receiver in the league. But it was that separation of target to reception that I just I, – I, I'm not a fan of it. I don't like it. Um, the inconsistencies that come from that. Um, obviously, Stafford's health is an issue. As long as he's back to being healthy, he's definitely going to have a great year. Uh, but that's why I had him sliding further in my rankings. But, yeah, I could see him finishing in the bottom tier of the wide receiver one for sure. Yeah, that catch rate that you mentioned, I'm, personally, I chalk that up to the other quarterbacks. I think with Stafford at the helm, he can – he can certainly get that number up. I'm certainly uh, betting on that at least. Yeah, that's that's obviously a concern. Looking at the targets and receptions, they aren't extremely high, especially for a wide receiver one. But again, like Brian, I'm attributing that mainly to the quarterback play and their offense as a whole. It struggled. You know, not just Matt Stafford, but on Johnson got injured early in the season, and Ty Johnson is your best running back, and then Bo Scarborough. Um, you know, they I guess they were serviceable, but. They didn't help out by any means. Um, yeah. I'm extremely high on Kenny G this year. I've got him as my number three receiver. Um, I think he's a great young player that's just going to keep trending upward. I expect big things from him. I think a full year with Stafford, he's going to outproduce last season by a large margin. Um, people see him as only a deep threat, and he does lead the NFL in deep balls. But Brian pointed out within the 10, even with inside the 20, um, he had 16 targets in that red zone area. So obviously they trust him in close proximity in the red zone as well. Um, I think he has room to grow in his target share. Like we just talked about only 21% of the team's targets, um, which I mentioned earlier, I'm a big proponent of if you're the number one, get the ball a lot, especially in this offense. Um, it's not a great number for a superstar number one receiver. I think for him, if he's going to break out, like I expect, it's probably going to come around the 28 or 30% target share mark. And that's totally possible. Um, four of his five games with over 100 yards last year came in the first eight games with Matthew Stafford under center. So obviously there's a little more rapport there than there was with the backups. And we can talk about numbers, but at the end of the day, for me, it's the eye test with Galladay. Um, you can see that he's the real deal when you watch him play. He's the clear-cut best option that they have. Um, Detroit's done some work to help their defense out. I, I don't know that's going to make a huge difference, but obviously having Stafford back, having on Johnson back and hopefully healthy. 
Uh, Matt Patricia's on a hot seat this year, and I think that he's going to be smart and try to keep his job and feed Galladay as much as he can eat. Uh, speaking of eating before we move on, the other bonus of drafting Galladay is that you get to watch him on Thanksgiving while you stuff your face. That's bonus fine. that you have to think about when you're drafting these guys. <laughs> yeah, hopefully he's not a turkey for you that day, huh? <laughs> hopefully he is not. So coming in at number nine – Uh, One of those guys that we mentioned earlier that just finished outside the top 50 last year, uh, Juju on that beat for Juju Smith-Schuster. Jason, last year only played 12 games, and that led to a whopping 42 catches, 552 yards, and a whole three touchdowns. Um, Jason, finish on what you were telling us earlier about why you believe he has the potential to break into the top 10 this year again. Yeah, it's kind of like that thing over in Europe, you know, called Big Ben. Big Ben being there is going to feed him like crazy. And he's proven it throughout his career. He's had an alpha receiver all the way from Heinz Ward. You can look at Santonio Holmes, Mike Wallace, Antonio Brown. The list goes on and on and on. And so there is a receiver that he has a rapport with, and that receiver is Juju. And so as long as his elbow is healthy, I think for sure Juju is destined to be the number one alpha dog there. And I, th- I, I, think, I think he's going to climb. I think he's going to climb tremendously this year. He's one of my can't-miss guys. Yeah, I, I struggle with that. I'll be honest. Um, there, there's a lot to like with Juju. There really is. I think back to um, you know, two years ago when he was there with A.B. And you know, all the, the drama started there with uh, Juju being named the team MVP. And A.B. thought that he deserved that, uh, that award instead. Uh, you know, obviously he's he's well liked by his teammates. He's been able to deliver. Uh, last year was a terrible year. Uh, I, I think a lot of that you can write off, like you said. Big Ben wasn't out there. Uh, he had Mason Rudolph throw into him. He had uh, Duck Hodges throw into him. They went back and forth because one was worse than the other, and uh, it was it was a rough year for him. Uh, my my challenge with him, I guess, there's a couple of them. One is that he's battled injuries. He had a concussion. He had a knee sprain. Things that you don't love to see from a guy that's going to be taking shots over the middle of the field. And he only had four catches in the red zone last year, which is also a little concerning. And, again, you can chalk a lot of that up to the quarterback play. But, you know, he wasn't targeted as much as I, I would have expected him to be. Um, you know, when Ben was healthy in 2018, Juju finished ninth in fantasy points. But – for me, a lot of that, I think, had to do with A.B. still being the focal point of the offense and, more importantly, the focal point for that defense. Uh, Juju hasn't proven that he can make the team better and be an X factor without other stars around him. So, you know, if Ben can stay healthy and hold that team together, then he could certainly have a much better year this year. But uh, I, I need to see a little bit more before I buy into him personally. Yeah, and you pointed out the targets. That's a big factor for me. Um, as I said earlier, I took him in a lot of my redraft leagues, expected big things from him. Um, you know, not having a clear-cut number two at the start of the season, I was really expecting big things. But even their their run game struggled, um, their other receivers struggled, but Juju didn't get double-digit targets in a game. Not receptions. He didn't get double-digit targets in a game. Um, and with how porous their offense was, you would think that someone of his talent, his caliber, has to get double-digit target at some point. Right. But – when you watch their games, they, it, it, he just disappeared. Like, it, it didn't seem like he was a superstar on the field. He seemed like just another guy when he was out there. So, I'm, obviously, he's talented. He proved that the year before. But I'm not going to belabor the point. I think a lot was due to quarterback play. But you can't negate the fact that A.B., as crazy as he is, um, demanded a lot of attention from defenses. And you have to wonder if – it was all quarterback play because Deontay Johnson, who also only started 12 games like Juju, had 59 catches for 680 yards and five touchdowns. So outpaced him in all areas. So I guess the question is, is it all quarterback related or do you attribute any of that to possibly Juju isn't an alpha? He's not a wide receiver one. Yeah, I think for me, if he was that alpha, then he would have proven it last year. And, you know, he he didn't have the year, like you said, that we expected Uh, Again, like I said, you can write a lot of the year off because of the quarterback play. But to your point, Deontay did still deliver. 
Uh, one thing I will say is, you know, like in 2018, when Juju and AB were on the field together, they had a phenomenal year, both of them. If Deontay can, can bring his game up to that next level, then he and Juju could have a similar impact on that offense. But I don't know that I'm counting on Juju to be the one to lead that charge. Yeah, I, 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 I think he will be. I think he'll take his game to the next level. I do think it was primarily quarterback play. I mean, when you're the number one guy and there's no running game, at some point the quarterback play makes the total difference. Mason Rudolph looked like garbage 99% of the time to me. He looked like he didn't belong out there. I mean, the straight hit that he took from Baltimore and knocked him flat out, I, I thought they killed the guy. But really, he, he was terrible. And the hodgepodge behind him was just as bad, too. Um, in fact, probably worse. But Juju Smith, to me, has this it factor about him. And uh, I look for him to take a big step forward this year. All right, so we'll see at the end of the season if Jason is right on Juju. Rounding out our top ten, uh, we've got the former SMU Mustang, Cortland Sutton. Uh, last year finished with wide receiver as wide receiver 19 with 72 catches for just over 1,100 yards and six touchdowns. Um, I'm going to jump right in because personally I love Sutton. I'm probably the reason he's in our top ten. Um, I'm probably a little biased because I loved him coming out of college. And um, you look, though, and only his second year, his targets went up about 50 targets over the last year. And I did expect it to go up even more this year as he keeps progressing. Um, quarterback play progresses. Let's not forget that that was with Joe Flacco at the helm last year, um, who was being avoided at all costs in every fantasy league. Um, there's talk of them taking Henry Ruggs in the first round. They've been linked to him a lot. And I don't think that's going to hurt Cortland Sutton, but I think that's going to help open it up for him. Um, he actually played better in the first half of the year where Emmanuel Sanders was there. Um, but Emmanuel Sanders is obviously a good receiver, but there was a widely publicized rift between the two, um, him and Sutton. And it was mainly on Sanders. He felt that he deserved more looks, more targets, and more respect. Um, I think clearing him out, letting Locke play, getting another number two receiver in the draft is going to help Sutton's game a lot. Um, I'm a believer of Drew Locke. Not everyone is. He's obviously going to have his growing pains, throw plenty of interceptions this year, um, but he's got the swagger. He's got the talent to make a difference for their offense. Adding Melvin Gordon is going to help open the run game. Um, Sutton is obviously a deep threat with great hands, the ability to go up and get the ball over defenders, but you saw his air yards per target go down last year, which isn't something we would typically point out, but it went down almost five yards per target. Um, what does that mean to you? It means the Broncos didn't only throw the ball deep to him. Um, but if you watch their games last year, I watched a lot of their games, and they started using him more as a possession receiver. Um, they hit him on little quick outs, uh, underneath routes, to let him get the ball, use his big frame, and run. Uh, so they're using him in a variety of ways instead of just downfield bombs. As I mentioned, Sutton's a big body receiver. Last year had 21 targets inside the 20. We talked about Kenny Galladay having 16 inside the 20. 21 targets inside the 20. Anytime you've got a talented big receiver that you trust to go up and get it in the red zone, it's going to lead to production. So I think he converts a lot more of those this year. I think he's around 140 targets, 10-plus touchdowns, keeps moving up the receiver list. And come January – in your league playoffs, you're going to wish that you took Cortland Sutton. Wow, Toby, there's something wrong with that comment. But anyway, uh, I'm not as big of a believer in Sutton as you are. Uh, he did have a tremendous year last year for the type of player that he is. And with the quarterback play he had, obviously, Flacco was trash. Uh, but also with uh, Drew Locke. But I'm, I'm a big believer in Noah Fant. And I think Noah Fant's game will emerge, which is going to lead to Sutton still doing better than last year, but I think he's going to fall off a little bit out of the top 10. I had him at 13 in my rankings. Um, I think he has great size. Obviously, he's great hands, great depth. He can go up and get the ball, like you said, Toby. But Corlin Sutton, to me, I'm not a huge believer, but I am a slight believer. You guys have mentioned it. He's, he's big and physical. He can go up and make plays on the ball. That's what you love about him. I mean, you turn on the tape, and that's what stands out. You see him, you know, mocking guys. He jumps up, and he's, he's taking the ball away. You love to see that. 
Um, you know, he's the clear number one option for a team that has a young but improving quarterback. Last year, he had 35% of the team's touchdowns and receptions, which was sixth in the league. And Toby, to your point previously, that's the kind of thing you're looking for from your, your wide receiver one is that level of involvement in the, the offense. Now, the, the bad, the thing that concerns me is his 57% catch rate. That was 82nd in the NFL, and it's obviously not a good number. You're not excited about that. But, you know, what does that really mean? You look at what he did in college, his last three seasons in college where he actually got on the field a significant amount, his catch rate was under 60% in each of those years as well. So that tells me against lesser competition, he still wasn't that alpha, that dominant guy that you really wanted. And so, um, you know, I'm sure a lot of that was attributed to quarterback play, both at SMU and with Flacco and Locke. But you don't see guys routinely jumping from 57% catch rates up to 75 where you like to see your receivers. So, you know, maybe he's the exception and maybe he can do that. I hope he can. He's got all the physical tools in the world. If he can catch more passes, then I absolutely believe that he can he can perform. Yeah, that's a good statistic you point out about the less than 60% in college. I wasn't aware of that. Um, still doesn't change my unwavering fandom of Cortland Sutton. Uh, there he is, though, rounding out the top 10, Cortland Sutton. Uh, that finishes our top 10 wide receivers list for 2020. Uh, be sure to follow us on Instagram for daily content at Cover3FantasyPodcast. Uh, DM us with any questions, things that you'd like to hear us cover. Uh, we love any feedback that you provide. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave that five-star review to help us out. We appreciate the support. And until next time.